The following is brought to you courtesy of the No Phony Podcast Network, home of independent awesomeness. Obviously, you know, he's down with, with the weed, so we smoke a lot of herb like we normally do. There's no rules about that. So I don't get a lot of sleep when we're with Neil. I get the chills thinking about it. Hey, Casey. How are you doing today, sir? Good, man. How are you, Bill? You know what today is? Uh, Friday? No, it's actually Sunday. But... <laughs> oh, that's right. Theater of the Mind. It's Friday. <laughs> no, it's actually our fifth episode, Casey. Oh, the fifth anniversary. It's the fifth anniversary. It feels like we've been doing this thing for like five weeks, Yeah, which is pretty much spot on. Cool one today, man. Cool one today. So we, we just did an interview with Mr. Corey McCormick. And so this episode is going to be uh, really about music. So Corey um, is somebody that you know personally. Mm-hmm. Corey is an amazing bass player. He's just an amazing all-around musician. You know, he's a, a true rock star type of guy, man, because he's done so much so much stuff. He's, he's played with uh, Neil Young. He's played with Chris Cornell. And he plays right now in a band called Promise of the Real. And Promise of the Real is really one of my favorite bands. And I, I even said it to him. And I was kind of gushing, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah you're, you're a great band. I didn't want to sound like I was gushing, but I was definitely gushing, like, Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real are bands that they're a band that I just listen to all the time. They're always on. We don't really talk much about it, but I don't even know if we mentioned it in the interview, but Lucas Nelson is Willie's son. So Lucas is really just an incredible songwriting talent on his own. He's got a really unique style. And when you add a player in like Corey, who's just this true artist, he's just got this really interesting way of thinking about music and, you know, blend that in. It's it's a terrific band. And I had even said this to him. I don't think the band would be the same without the kind of contribution that he makes. And he talked a lot about the way he sees music and the way, you know, he contributes to all the projects he's in. And I, I find that stuff absolutely fascinating. So I love talking to him. How long have you known him? I'd say at least probably 10 years, just uh, off and on from going to the shows and stuff. You and I were talking before this, but my buddy Kevin Brett, uh, who's also a photographer, introduced me to those guys. And uh, yeah, Corey's just an all-around great guy. Always been nice to me every time uh, I see him backstage at the shows. Uh, I've seen him all the way from New York all the way to Jamaica. And we talked a little bit about the um, the Star is Born movie, which yes. uh, is a fantastic movie. And you know he had a role to play in that as well. So great interview. Really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I thought it was really good. All right. Well, without further ado, how about we play the tape? All right, brother. All right. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Deluxe Edition. Joining me, as always, Bill Seabold. Hi, Casey. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> doing well. Good. Joining us today, bass player for Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real, Corey McCormack. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How's everybody doing? Good, man. Thanks so, for having me. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks for joining us. So, Corey, I've known you for, uh, I don't know, probably the last 10 or so years as uh, the bass player for Lucas Nelson, Promise of the Real, as I just mentioned. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got your start in music and uh, 
how you became interested in music and all that good stuff. All right. Well, I was interested in music as far back as I could imagine, you know, even, even remember. I actually started dancing as a young child. I really loved Michael Jackson, so I would, like, mimic his dance style and eventually, like, kind of, like, did that for a little while, like did competitions and stuff, I guess. I was little, I don't, I was like li really little kid, like five years old or something. I don't have any memory of that, but there's pictures and, and stuff. But, uh, you know, I know I was really into Michael Jackson. And then, you know, my dad took me to a concert when I was about nine, I think. And, and it was like my first real big concert, something about just everything with the lights and the theater we were in and, and everything about it grabbed me. I was already playing music at that time. You know, when they come by and you're in like grade school, and they're like, who wants to be in the school band? So I was like, yeah, I want to play. So I played trumpet, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I just kind of did it because, you know, it wasn't until that first concert that it really hit me like what it was, you know, this is what music performing is. And then from there, I started to kind of get more serious. In junior high, I started playing guitar and learning guitar on my own just my dad had a guitar and a chord chart at the house and I started playing and and learning chords and learning songs by ear a lot of Neil Young stuff I was a huge Neil fan and my dad was as well so that music was like in my DNA and then I started really I was into jazz because of the horn I was playing the jazz band at school and um and I started to get into the jazz thing on guitar really heavy in high school studying on my own i worked all summer to save money so i could take lessons at the local music store and uh take real you know a real guitar lesson and studied with uh with this gentleman there and i don't even remember the guy's name so horrible my memory's so horrible and i was doing a lot of work on my own though like all all night i was in my room with the headphones on learning songs and studying music you know miles davis and all, all the cat all the jazz stuff as well as learning Led Zeppelin and and all the, you know, classic rock kind of stuff that you can think of. And I had little bands in, in high school uh, that I played guitar in. And um, I was in the band in high school, but I played trumpet until my senior year. My, my instructor, I begged him to let me play guitar because I wanted to go into college as a guitar player. And uh, so he agreed. So my senior year, I played guitar in the jazz band and I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to the local college here. It's just a community college, but it was free. So I was like, hell yeah, you know, <laughs> and I went in playing in the big band and I did that program for two years playing guitar. And then one day I just decided I don't want to play guitar anymore. I don't know what happened. I just was kind of like, I was thinking about the, the long run and I felt like as a guitar player, I, I just wasn't sure. It, that's by the way why I stopped playing trumpet is I was thinking of the long run like as a trumpet player how much work is there realistically you know playing because I want to play I didn't want to I mean it's I'm, I'm all about teaching and giving back but I wasn't necessarily motivated to be a teacher I was I wanted to perform and play music live that's what I loved and so in the long haul I thought you know from trumpet to guitar that was a good move and then and then in college, I just, you know, I was around a lot of great guitar players and I was meeting a lot of dudes in LA that just shredded and had skill beyond what I 
had I had a deep knowledge of the music and 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 a knowledge of the instrument for sure, and I could read, which set me apart from a lot of guys. But I just didn't feel like I had enough to like keep me going, and maybe that was insecurities and and for whatever reason, I just I thought, hmm, if I learn how to play the upright bass, I was also missing playing classical music. That was it, because on guitar you don't get to really do that. So thought if I played upright bass, I can play classical music and jazz and rock and all these things. And everybody needs a bass player. Like everybody, <laughs> literally every genre of music cross the board. Like there's no, I mean, yes, there is music without bass for sure. But like in general, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that's the thing. So, and I could play upright and, and then I focused on classical music for a couple of years and went to a university and got my degree in classical bass performance which was a bitch, but I did it. And then at the time I was playing in this funk band called The Big Pill, which was an original project with a bunch of friends of mine. And we had been playing together for a while. And I was also playing with a a guy in LA, this guitar player. And and I was doing every jazz gig and every classical like thing I could do. Anything that I got called for, any opportunity I would say yes to. I was in like 10 bands at once or something crazy. You know, um, my twenties were insane. Like I just did everything I could possibly do performance wise. And then I got that, the, the phone, you know, I got lucky to do the audition for Chris Cornell and, and that kind of catapulted me up into another level of like dudes, I guess. And then I got kind of sick of being a sideman, missing, like being in a band and contributing artistically and not just kind of being like a karaoke dude and that's that's pretty much when the when Cornell ended and I was playing with some other bands being a side guy and and uh and then I got the phone call from Anthony the drummer in Lucas's band who we went to the same junior college that's how we know each other okay Uh, he's a little younger than me but uh he called me and said hey Lucas wants to jam with you we're looking at switching up our bass player situation do you want to come jam and I I knew what they, I had already known about their scene from the, even the in, inception of it. I was kind of around when they got the call, like when Lucas was in LA and he was looking for people to play with, like I was kind of involved in that whole thing, but I was already working. So I would have been in, in from the beginning had I not been on the Cornell thing. But anyways, they ended up calling me. It was just kind of like fate. And I, it, I had to take a pretty big step backwards, like financially. I'd just gotten to the point where I was like making like decent money. And then it was like, all right, well, we're in a, a RV and, <laughs> and you don't get a hotel room and you're only making this much money. And, and that's what it is. And it was like, but I could see again, the long haul of like being in a band and having, creating something. Yeah, I knew these guys were committed to the long game and ultimately that's the dream right i mean as when we're kids as as like kids that we want to be in a band and like create music like with our buddies and go on tour like that's what everybody kind of in general like i mean a lot of people i know at least and so so you know took the gamble and and it really i think was the right move a lot of great things happened in the last 10 years for the band and except for this pandemic, you know, like we were in a we were in a full steam push ahead and everything was good and golden and and, and we got stopped dead in our tracks, which is fine, you know. I feel 
for everybody that's been affected by this thing and, and in no way feel that like, Oh, woe is me at all. You know, <laughs> it's, it's people got a lot worse. I'm, I'm lucky that I have a family and a roof over my head and we're not sick. Yeah. Yeah. It for sure. puts everybody sort of on the same level, no matter what, no matter who you are, what, you know, what you do, you know, we're all, we're all doing this together. No matter, no matter where you live, no matter anything. And sometimes it's funny that I, I tend to think that we're not all seeing that right now. We're not all seeing that we're really all in this together. It's, it's a tough time. And, and music has always been that thing for me. That is that thing you go to. That's that music has always been this sort of um, uh, community thing in, in my mind, which is why I, I love your band so much. I love, you know, the stuff that you guys do because it's definitely building music towards a greater purpose towards a group the lyrics are very thoughtful and very you know philosophical at times and i just think you know bands like yours i don't hear too many like them anymore so it's really great that you guys are still out there doing what you're doing oh i appreciate that you really it's lucas's vision and we just kind of all fall in line i mean not it's not all about him we all have the same vision we all want the same things and you know we all grew up on the same music and feel the same way about kind of like what music sounds like now, which is not, we're not that into a lot of the new stuff personally, like all of us. I mean, we listen to everything and I listen to give everything a chance, but you always end up going back to that stuff that you listen to. And even the stuff that was made before I was a kid, cause I was listening to stuff that was 50 years old when I was a kid, you know? And that's what I, liked and enjoyed that sound of that and the integrity that those bands had the things that they were writing and and then they would stand up to injustices and not just they weren't just trying to make a paycheck like they were they were artists you know and i think that's just kind of the stick that we're trying to carry that same legacy you know like willie's legacy and neil's legacy we want to keep that kind of idea rolling and not get bulldozed by the system and the consumerism and all that stuff that just rules kind of the whole thing you know it's not always easy but i think we've been lucky because we're in line with so many things that people agree with and want to see you know yeah when i when i listen to your stuff especially your bass playing because i'm essentially a failed rock star i took my swing and just didn't get very far out here in Pennsylvania. It just didn't work out. But, you know, and I still play music every day. And the, the thing that I hear in your playing, there's bass players that, you know, they say, okay, I know I need to lock in with the drummer. That's the job of the rhythm section. And then there's bass players to me that are a little bit more artistic and they're a little bit more melodic. And the way that you play on these albums, I just, I find it absolutely fascinating because you're finding areas to sort of caress the song and not just being simple. It's adding a color. It adds a like ornamentals that I think the music really benefits from, and I love hearing that out of the bass because I know a lot of people. I play bass too in some bands. You know, they're like, "Oh, that's the bass player. He doesn't really count." Well, you really count. Like your uh, contribution to these songs, the songs wouldn't be the same without your playing and your style. How did you get to be that sort of musician that can really sort of uh, color a song in a, a unique way? Is there? Is it studying other people? Is it just having the sense to say, hey, I got to do something a little different? How does that come about? How did your style come about? Well, well, first of all, thank you. That's a very nice compliment. 
I think it's a culmination of things. It's also kind of the mindset that I've had with music all through my whole life is that I've never, I, like, not wanting to be, like, pigeonholed into one thing because I love everything so much, um, which is not always a good thing. You, you're sometimes benefit from specializing in one area or another. But when I get that asked ask that question from students, I often just tell them, I listen to a lot of music since I was young, like really listened and studied. And when I went to shows, I was watching what was going on on the stage, what everybody was doing collectively. Like I wasn't just focused on one, the singer or, or whatever. Like I was always very interested on the whole and part of what drew me to music was that collaborative thing. Like these four people on stage are making this sound together, you know, and without that one person, that sound isn't going to be the same. And so as a bass player, it's a challenge because you, your job is to be the bass and the foundation. And a lot of times that means to play very simple. And, you know, with Lucas, it's a challenge because he likes things that fit into the box per se. I, I hear my ears are very wide, so I can hear dissonance and I like to hear notes rubbed together. And, and those things excite me where they maybe would bother him. He likes cleaner things musically. So, when I first joined the band, that was a, a challenge uh, because I tend to play pretty free. I think that comes from being a jazz musician growing up with the jazz mindset of improv. I don't, I've never been a guy that would like write a solo or like even write a bass line. Like I might have an idea of what kind of groove I'm going to be feeling, but I'm also going to be reacting on everything I'm hearing in the moment because it's all, it's all about that reacting and interacting. And I think that's the key to keeping the bass lines fresh, not ever having, and I'm guilty of this, like having an agenda for the bass line, right? Because that just doesn't ever really work out. It's like, I really want to do this lick right here or whatever. Like, I don't know. It, for me, it's more of just of a feel in the moment and what's right for the music and having that openness where I'm paying attention to like everything that's going on. That's why I love playing in orchestras because there's times in an orchestra where I'm playing the same exact part as like the bass clarinet player who's way over there, but we need to phrase the same and we need to be in the same pitch center. And in order to do that, we have to listen to each other across an 80 piece orchestra. I get the chills thinking about it. It's like, that's, real music like using your ears and your senses and and being aware enough to hear what he's doing and and to be able to blend with him all that you know you kind of get what i'm saying maybe i'm rambling but uh no i do it's great it, it's great and you you kind of struck me when you were talking about being the sideman um did you ever see that show the hired gun program i think it was on netflix yeah and i definitely got the vibe that sometimes you know and it was an interesting story because it talks about the behind the scenes role of, you know, sidemen, people that help the artists really create their songs and create, you know, the, the live show. But I, I always wonder as a, as a side person, is it kind of like, and I'll use uh, Neil Young, for example, I'm, you're not really a sideman with, with Neil Young, I guess, or a, oh. a, a hired gun. 
but does he come and say, okay, we're going to work on this together? Or does he say, Hey, I've done this for 40 years. Like I know my stuff. I expect to walk in and have you guys like know all this and go. And if that is the case, is that fun or is it more fun to be part of the creation? I think the latter is going to be your answer, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about that kind of experience. Prefer, it's always preferable to be part of the inception of the creation of something because it's, it's a, it's going to be internalized in you. So when you, you know, get down the road and you want to play this song, you haven't played it in a few days, you'll remember what it is because you helped create the fucking thing. Right. Where with Neil, it's like, I mean, I have a list on my phone, on my playlist of probably 350 songs. And when we're on the road with Neil, I listen to those 350 songs, at least just little snippets of each every single day before we have a show. And I'll usually sometimes will play and make sure I know the, what the bass lines are. Cause there's certain lines that you just, you got to play them cause that's what everyone is used to hearing. So he's never ever been like, you guys should know this stuff. Like he, half the time he's like, Oh, I don't, I don't remember. Like, how does that go? Like we're kind of showing him what the court, I mean, literally there's been times where I've taken his guitar and been like, no, I think it's this. And, and you know, cause I, I study the songs and I know his music so well, I don't want to say better than all those guys, but like, I, I mean, I've done a lot of homework on the guitars on his stuff I almost wish I played guitar on this gig with Neil because I know the music so well, even though I really love playing, being in the bass chair as well. Cause it's just, it's just pure energy, you know? And I, and for me as an improv guy, cause he's cool with us improving. Like I don't have to stick to a certain baseline. He wants me to be, you know, he's used to crazy horse. So he wants that thing where it's just the same thing over and over. But I can't help it. You know, I do what I do. So I throw in little fills and I do do things, especially when we're just jamming. I mean, I go crazy and play all kinds of stuff. I just go for it. There are no rules. <laughs> and he's never said, Hey, don't do that. You know, or I don't like that or anything like that. You know, have you, have you ever had a gig where they were actually, no, you can't do this. You have to do it this way. Uh, well, I think I'm smart when I know I need to do it that way. Like, like with Cornell, it's like, you know, well, I got to play Spoonman. Like I got to go. Right. And, and I gotta, I gotta make it sound, sound huge. And I gotta have the overdrive on the solo part. And I gotta do all that stuff because that's, that's the song. And it's fun to recreate. Like for that gig, it was fun to do that for me because that music, the grunge, you know, Seattle movement was like my Messiah, you know, like for rock and roll. Cause I hated eighties hair brands. I just wasn't sorry if you guys, I, I just wasn't into it. Um, I mean, I loved Van Halen and Metallica, but like when it got into the spandex and the makeup, it just was over for me, you know? And then Seattle came around and I was just floored by what was coming out of there. And so to rec recreate that with the guy was, I was perfectly happy just playing the parts, you know, but no, I don't, I've never really had anyone tell me to stick completely to the script. I did audition for uh, Roger Daltrey, the who, the singer for the who once he was kind of, I get the vibe. He wasn't digging what I was trying to throw down. Like he wanted it to be, <laughs> He wanted to be, I came in trying to be Ent Whistle, but he didn't want that. He wanted to be quiet and like, 
mellow, like just like in the background bass. And I was thinking I'm going in there to like do some serious bass stuff. And he was like, turn down and like do all this. Stuff. It was, it was interesting. Can you play it more like the record? You know, that kind of shit. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, how many do you audition? Well, you don't need to audition anymore, but what kind of audition, what's the audition process like when you're going in? audition for a, a big rock star are you nervous do they give you material or is it just kind of like go see how you, you you respond under pressure i'm generally nervous for most things <laughs> when i the cornell audition i didn't even get the phone call for i was in a band with the guitar player who got the phone call and we just happened to be in rehearsal and the guy said oh yeah bring him down because my guitar player was like you know Corey," and he knew me because i was doing auditions for him but i was kind of on the b scale working my way up at the time and uh he said yeah bring him and so that one was interesting because it was a cattle call it was a lot of people and it was four days long and i had to learn five songs each for each day so you know that day he sent me five songs at about 11 p.m that was it was a wednesday night and i learned five songs that night i don't think i slept because i was just too excited and jamming songs all night making sure i knew them and then it's you go to the spot and and there's so many people hanging out and they just kind of call people in and you play with different they pair you with different people and you, you play different songs and then the next day they call they don't call everyone back you know there's maybe 10 less people there and the next day same deal and with Cornell, it was weird because they had chosen the whole band except for the bass chair by, by Saturday, by the time Saturday came. And so Sunday, I literally watched the other guy do his bass audition, his last bass audition, and he watched me do my, my audition. And I thought, I'm not getting this gig. Like this guy, because I had lost a ton of auditions at this point because I didn't look right. I was either too short I didn't have hair. I didn't look like the other bass player. And I always heard the same thing. You play great, but we're looking for this certain look, which was discouraging. Anyway, so this guy had the look. He had the kind of froey long hair and the tight jeans and the, the Fender, you know, vintage bass. Of course, he played Spoonman with a pick, which ain't right. <laughs> And he fit into the look of the other guys that they had already chosen because all those guys had the tight jeans and the hair. And I look more of a modern dude with a shaved head and baggy pants and a ball cap, you know? And so I thought, there's no way, like, I'm not getting it. <laughs> you know, I had already, I left there thinking, well, at least I got to, I mean, I jammed with Chris Cornell, you know? <laughs> like, and then I got the phone call two days later. I was driving on the freeway and the guy's like, you want to be Chris Cornell's bass player? And I said, yes, I do. And I pulled over the side of the freeway and I jumped out of my car and I ran out into the fields <laughs> doing <laughs> somersaults and backflips. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> so speaking of uh, the audition process and all this for the, the bands and stuff, how does something like uh, star is born come about that, that Lucas's band promise of the real is hired as the, band to be in the movie man that was such a fluke in the world of entertainment it really is like who you know and who you get who you get in front of because we played that big show in the desert the desert trip 
mm-hmm. with Neil. And apparently Bradley Cooper was there at one of those shows. And he had never seen us or knew who we were. But he saw Lucas that night and he was in the middle of writing the film or getting getting ready to start working on the film, you know, thinking about things. And uh and he said, That's what I want my character to be, because the way Lucas looked on screen and how he played guitar and all that stuff, right? So he hit up Lucas and asked him if he would help him essentially learn how to act like a rock star, how to make it look like you're actually singing, how to make it look like you're actually playing the guitar or whatever, you know, kind of a consultant. And then that turned into Lucas writing songs with him and Gaga. And they had a band with a very well-known producer and all the standard dudes in the studio doing the record at first. And I'm not sure exactly why, why it went down, but, but I do know that the whole time Lucas was pushing for us to get in there, but something went down and, and they brought us in and then we record, we recorded all the music and then they asked us to be in the movie and it just all kind of happened like, like that yeah i watched it last night uh it really is an amazing movie i heard that same story i heard that uh bradley cooper had seen lucas and thought you know his style was pretty cool so when you're when you're all writing you're all writing together are you writing with bradley is he a musician as well or was he just an actor who pulled it off so well because he fooled me that he you know if, if he wasn't a musician i'd be pretty surprised bradley wasn't i mean he could kind of play like open chords on a guitar but he 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 took vocal lessons for like two years leading up to this thing, to filming and recording. And he wrote, he was interesting because he was, when we were in the studio, he had the film in his head, like what it was, the whole thing, like every scene he knew. And so we're making the music to the scene and he's, like the opening scene he gets into the car after he's on stage and the door shuts and you still hear my bass going like that was a moment in the studio where he told me specifically like do that do at when we st- when we stop the song keep going right because it's going to be that he had, he told me the whole scene like he had it all in his head and he had a lot of great suggestions and um he it was surprisingly musical even though he's not a musician. I mean, he's a talented guy, so it's just in his, you know, he's a beautiful, talented man. It's in his DNA. Yeah. Um, when you guys were doing the, the, the live footage, was it actually a concert or is that movie making magic? Was there really that many people in the a crowd? Things, a few things happened. Uh, we, we did this kind of fake thing where we took over Willie's, Willie Nelson's stage at – I think it was stagecoach that festival. And so there was an audience there and we went out on stage and we played through one song, but the audience couldn't hear the song and they just filmed it. And then they, that, that ended up being in the movie. And then a lot of the stuff they hired, they would have these. So Gaga has her huge fan base and they would do these things where they, they would sell tickets for, her fan base to come and sit through the whole night of shooting, like at the Greek theater, they'd like fill the Greek theater halfway up with all her fans and they would be the audience in the movie. 
And then they'd CGI like extra shit in. Like they would never have it completely full. Like the outdoor coverage when we're playing, that's there was only like 200 people there. But in the movie, you see it looks like it's a huge festival and there's all these people. That's all placed in there after the fact. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the scene when Bradley runs off to the side of the stage and we as the audience get to see what it's like to, you know, almost be on stage in front of that whole audience. Again, watching the movie last night, it's fresh in my mind. I'm just like, wow, what a feel like I bought into that feeling of what it must be like to be in front of that kind of crowd. So it's a superb movie. They did a great job. The cinematographer, he was amazing watching him work. It was impressive. When you have a gig, right, you can have a great gig or you can have a terrible gig. What differentiates the two for you? What's a great gig and what's a, a terrible one? And maybe you have an, ex, you know, an example, but maybe it's just something that you, uh, you, know, you feel. You know, it's funny because a lot of times I come off stage and I feel like I had a shitty performance and it wasn't good. And then I'll watch it on a video or hear, hear it and, I, and it's not what I thought it was. It was actually good. So my perception on stage is wacky. And I've been battling, like trying to figure out why that is for the last year or two. Just like how to just have fun on stage no matter what. Like I'm too much of a perfectionist. And so if I make one little mistake, it throws me off. And, and I've had to learn through this band even to, to relax and to let things just be what they are. Uh, but generally... I know I've had it. I know it was a good show, or at least it's, it's really just a feeling, you know, cause a lot of times I'll come off stage and I just don't feel great. <laughs> and then there'll be other times where I come off and I'm like, God damn, that was fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't really pinpoint where or why that is. Cause there are times where I feel great before the show and everything's great. And then, and then I end up coming off stage not feeling good about it and then vice versa. So I don't know, man, my, my perceptions is, is a rough one when it comes to that. Since you do so many shows, have you ever gone to a point where you're playing and you're, you're just not feeling it? Maybe you're stuck in a situation with a, you know, a band and you're kind of like, this is starting to feel like a job as a musician who's never made it. You know, I've been in bands where it's just like the fun just isn't there, but are you, lucky enough to always be in something that you've always been able to sort of be inspired by and grow with, or does it even happen to you where sometimes you're at a performance and you're just like, I just don't feel like being here. (laughs) I've been really lucky to play with a lot of people that I enjoy their music. So um, I could say that I did a lot of work in Japan for a Japanese artist, a huge artist there. And I love him, but there was like, especially the first tour I did, I didn't enjoy at all. It was like every show. I just enjoyed being in Japan, but the shows was like, was the miserable part because they were very Japanese. They're like, you stand here and you don't move. And then on the last song, we want you to walk 20 steps forward and then walk right back. (laughs) It's like, I never really, I guess that goes back to a question you asked earlier, been told what to do all the time. In Japan, that's I experienced that. Like being a sideman in Japan sucks. Sorry, like it's it's great to go to Japan, and I totally appreciate the time that I had there, and, and I would do it again. But like musically, you know, being creative, it's not. It's it's like a prison. You're just locked in this spot, and you can't you can't go off script at all. 
So that's an example of that. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That, that was the vibe I got as a musician watching that hired gun show thinking, I don't know if I could do this. I mean, maybe the money is great and I get to play with these amazing artists, but at the end of the day, am I really doing what I love? So like, like Cornell was like, we were a band, you know, and, and even with Neil, it's like, we're a band. I mean, he's obviously Neil, but like, he asks us what we want to play and we, you know, make a set list together when there is a set list, which is very rare, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Even, I think maybe when I first got into Lucas's band, I had a trouble with that because I had to really adjust because he, he wasn't, he's pretty sensitive to things like really wants things to be clean and, and I'm okay with them not being so clean. So I had to, make a big adjustment in the beginning with him which was a little difficult but then as he got used to me he got he like loosened the reins and then you know obviously now I just do whatever is I'm hearing but I think it's in the beginning it's natural for it to be that way yeah makes sense you live in LA uh how important do you think it is to actually be in LA to make a uh, to get a career in music now I'm not sure what a career in music is now. Good point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on what you want to do. I think LA is obviously a hot spot for entertainment. And if you want to be a sideman and like do big gigs, you should probably come to LA because that's where all the auditions are. And that's where the people are that you need to meet to get those auditions. If you're just trying to, if you like live in, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, and you're a, you have a band of four dudes. I don't know if you necessarily need to move anywhere. You need to get on your social media game hard and you need to make content hard and you need to play shows and play good when you play your shows. But yeah, I think if you're trying to make it, like if you want to be a writer or you want to be a sideman, I think going to a major city is important because what are you going to do in a not major city? right? Like there isn't, doesn't really work for that unless you want to just teach, you know, you want to teach music, you can live anywhere. If you just want your own band or you want to play in a, just play in an orchestra or do, you know, it just depends on what you want to do. I think if you want to really go for being a sideman, like I said, or being a writer, then LA or New York, it's important to be in those places, I think. Do you have to do a lot of networking and you just try to meet everybody and get your name out there? Or do you recommend maybe getting a manager who has that kind of Rolodex and does it for you? So, well, these days I don't do, I'm lazy. So I'm in my band now and I, and I don't have to do that stuff. But like when I was young, my thing was I never said no to any opportunity or any gig. So I did a lot of gigs. I hated, I played with a lot of people that I thought weren't very good. And I just never said no. And that was the networking because I eventually fought my way to a certain spot, you know. But yeah, I think I think that these days, especially, like if you, a lot of it comes from where you go to school. Like if you're really serious about being a musician, then maybe you've gone to school or you plan on going to a college. Those Those relationships that you make in college are going to, end up being very important later on down the line. Like 
like I, I would never tell anyone to make friends with someone for political reasons, but like, you know, in, if you're in a college music program, like make friends and try to play with the people that are like the good people, <laughs> the ones that you, you're going, that guy's going to fucking make it. I should get in his circle, you know, <laughs> try to play with him, try to hang with him, try to whatever you can do, make those relationships because I'm still playing with people and I still use musicians when I'm doing production that I've known for 20 plus years, you know, and I got the gig from the Lucas thing from Anthony and I knew him since I was probably 23 and that, you know, that was 15 years later or something like that, that he called me to do that gig. Wow. So I've, I've never changed my cell phone number. I've never changed my email <laughs> in case someone who has that number and that needs a bass player is, is going, <laughs> I remember Corey and I'm going to try to call this number, you know? Yeah. So how does the, how does the Neil Young uh, gig come about then? How do you guys get chosen to be Neil Young's backing band? I mean, that you're growing up, you're a huge fan of Neil Young. I mean, that's gotta be incredible. Yeah. My wife asked me when it first happened, you ever, did you ever think you would be Neil Young's bass player? Like never, ever thought of that. No. Nope. Yeah. That was just kind of like, you know, cause Lucas is in the family and Neil's seen us play at farm aid every year and we've hung out with Neil and, and, um, and you know, he spontaneously wanted to do a protest show when they were protest protesting the pipeline thing in Nebraska and mm-hmm. and I don't think he had a band readily available to him so he thought I'm going to ask these kids to come play with me cuz it's it's just a show in the middle of a fucking cornfield so who cares <laughs> I don't know I don't know what his thought process was but but uh but uh yeah he called us to do that benefit show and and uh and then from there, we got the call to do that Monsanto record, and it just went from there. And I think it was just purely out of us showing him how much we were fans of him. I mean, we would play, we would always make sure and play one of his songs at our Farm Aid set, because he literally would watch us every time, stand on the side of the stage, which make us all really super nervous. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, I think we're lucky... Like, don't get me wrong, like, when the opportunity came to play in Lucas Nelson band, obviously it's like, well, he's Willie Nelson's son, and there's there's opportunity there. It's like a natural built-in thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if if we were if we were just Joe Schmo, if he was just some kid off the block, I'm not sure if those same opportunities, and I don't want to slight him or who he is because he has a, a tremendous amount of talent, obviously. But there's also... I don't know how many countless people out there that write beautiful songs and have a tremendous amount of talent that don't get those opportunities because they just don't have that, you know, just doesn't come their way. Sure. So we're, we're lucky to be under this umbrella because we're exposed to all these people all the time, which gives us the opportunity, you know, <clears throat> a little spoiled. <laughs> so what's the difference what's is there a difference like between touring with uh with neil and just on your own with lucas like are there are there certain rules of things you can and can't do on the road with uh, with neil um no 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 rules no rules uh 
major differences are are like like Neil doesn't get hotels he basically lives in his bus so and then we usually follow him wherever he goes so I don't get a lot of sleep when we're with Neil because it's usually you know after the gig it's already late this is how the Europe tour in 2016 was it was amazing but like I literally didn't sleep that whole like two months but it was it was like play the show get on Neil's bus with him and shoot the shit and eat our after show food while we drive for like an hour and a half and then get on our bus and then drive another hour and a half. And then we're finally at a hotel by then it's like five in the morning and we got to leave at noon. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, traveling with him is, is not, it's great cause we get to hang with him and we get to, you know, congregate and we hear a lot of stories and and stuff but i don't sleep so i don't get rest (laughs) but there's no like rules you know there's no rule difference we try to keep the partying like obviously when we're with him backstage is a lockdown like we're not bringing like the normal riffraff backstage that we would and we try to be respectful with like partying like no one's getting super hammered or anything like that obviously you know he's down with with the weed so we smoke a lot of herbs like we normally do there's no rules about that and and in general i'll tell you a big difference is the paycheck (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i could i I bet it is especially in 2016 these days you know we're doing better so my checks are better but like you know back then it, i was still making like nothing with this band so touring with neil was like oh yeah <laughs> i can save money sweet how about groupies are there still groupies in rock and roll you know i'm married dude so <laughs> if there are i don't know they don't yeah know. there absolutely is yeah for sure really <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know the the uh, the bad part of this band is that the most of the groupies, and no offense again to anybody, but most of the groupies are older women. So it's not really like like what you think of when you think of like groupies, like young partying chicks. It's like yeah. middle aged women that are just like chain smoking. You're like, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. We, you know, we'll hang. No, I, I always hang with the fans. I love the fans. But we do – our fan group is in an older spectrum because of the Willie thing. So, like, when I played with – again, when I was on tour with Cornell, and I was single for the last year of that, so it was, like, you know, ripe for the pickings. It's, like, <laughs> beautiful women everywhere because even if they didn't even know the music, they came to watch him because he was a beautiful man. You know, he was a chick magnet. That's awesome, man. Well, tell us, uh, tell before we wrap up here, tell us about your uh, your solo project, Organa, right? Organa, yeah. Organa. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. So Organa is a, a product of The Big Pill, which was a band that I was in when I was younger. The Big Pill was an eight-piece funk band, and uh, that band, I put we all did, put our whole life, and and we really – trying to make that band happen and and it all just kind of ended one day and we were all devastated and my musical identity personally went away when that band ended i was lost completely and i still haven't really got it i'm starting to now i feel like but 
anyways, so the the uh, percussion player, he wasn't the singer in that band, but he's an amazing singer. And he approached me a couple of years ago, and he said, I, I'm kind of feeling ready to do something again. Do you think you guys want to do something? You know, let's just get together and write some songs. So Nick is the guitar player from the Big Pill, and so the three of us got together and started working on some stuff, and um, it just kind of kept expanding. And and we did a, we recorded six songs that I produced and mixed, and I'm waiting for the vinyls to come. I'm very excited about that, and it sounds killer. I'm very proud. This is like my first full on like. Like, it's not a solo record for me, but like, you know, it's like, this is me. I'm putting this out. <laughs> um, so I feel really good about it, which is strange because I usually hate everything I do. So I don't know. Maybe it's good. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, man. When, when, uh, when does it do out? Well, I'm still waiting for the, them to print these records. He tells me within the month I should have them. And then once I get them in my possession, I'll, I'll put a release date, which will be within that next month. So I'm hoping by the end of summer, it'll be out. And in the meantime, we're writing already and recording. We already have three songs where I've already had a drummer play. Like we have it all mapped out. And the drummer played his parts. And we're going to try to have a full length record done by the beginning of the year. And it sucks that we can't you know, go play shows. Yeah. And we've been doing some stuff online, just like, you know, like this kind of thing. We've done a bunch of these where we played just the three of us, you know, and, and, uh, and it's, it was a fun project though. I got a bunch of LA dudes. I got the, uh, as drew from Ozo Motley played on the record. My friend, Rafael Moriera, who's like a badass Brazilian rock guitar player played on the record. Tato, our percussion player in the in the Lucas band is all over the record and it's it's really cool. I really dig it. I'm hoping we'll do some touring too, you know. I'm hoping that that when this whole, the idea with this project is not to interfere with Lucas but to take the advantage of when we have the time off to to like go play some music that I really like to play, funky improv, you know, dance danceable stuff. Nice. Well, since you know everybody in uh, Lucas Nelson's band, maybe you guys could open for uh, for them. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. There you go. Not a bad idea. <laughs> well, hey, man, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. And uh, just tell everyone where they can find you and all that uh, all that good stuff. Uh, sure. Uh, my Instagram is Corey McCormick Official. And uh, that's also my website, CoreyMcCormickOfficial.com. And I'm on Facebook, Corey McCormick. And that's about all I got out there. Organa's website will be up soon. I'm still finishing that up. And um, once that's up, we're going to be putting out a lot of content on that page. So look out for the Organa.com. If you follow me on Instagram, all that stuff will be announced. And go to the Organa music page and follow that page as well. And you'll get all the information for that i'm going to be putting a pre-order thing out soon for the vinyl we have all kinds of merch and stuff fun fun stuff awesome man looking forward to it and uh thanks again man we appreciate it thanks for having me guys
Just bye. 